0: This show is a part of the FM Podcast Network, the home of great music podcasts. Visit us at fmpods.com.
1: You are listening to The Dylan Taunts Podcast. Hey everyone, this is Jim Salvucci from The Dillon Taunts, and today we have another episode, an exciting episode of Million Dollar Bash. It's that million dollar bash. In this roundtable, we're going to take a different approach than usual. Usually, we have a topic, and we talk about the topic, and we kick it around and have a lot of fun with it. Today, I asked each of our guests to come in with a song or two they want to discuss. So I'm going to say each of the guests' name and introduce them and ask them to say hello, and then we'll get right down to it. So our first guest is Rockin' Rob Virginio. Hey, Rob.
2: How are you doing, Jim? Very pleased to see everyone and talk to everyone again. Great to have you. Next up is Ern Callahan.
0: Hey, Jim. Hi, guys. I'm so glad to be here and I'm ready to hear everyone's take on their songs.
3: And next up is Court Carney. Hey, everyone. How come Rob got rockin'? I thought you were us all epithets. I was ex- excited to see. It's an
2: honorific. Court, Coy. not a, not an epithet. It's an. Oh,
1: I'll give you one, Court. Cor. You're, you're
3: corny, Court
1: Carney.
2: All right, um, candy corn. <laughs> I'll tell you what, though, with all
3: these lit people, I I, I need to watch my language. I apologize, bro.
1: That's right. <laughs> and then finally, we have got Gray Lee Hearn.
4: Hey, gang! Good to see you again. Looking forward to it.
1: All right, and we're expecting. As always, Nina Goss, and we're, we're hoping she'll, she'll pop in soon, and when she does, we'll get her right into the discussion. And she never holds back, so this will be great. I've asked everyone to come up with one or two songs, either a song from Bob Dylan that they think is really underrated in some way and give a defense of that, or a song they think is really overrated and maybe defile that song. All right, so Rob, I'm going to ask you to go
2: first i've come to praise not to bury i don't know if i want to defile songs um although believe me um there are some songs that um uh i i can talk about how they rub me the wrong way but i can't quite be as articulate because when a song kind of rubs me the wrong way or gets under my skin or doesn't click with me um it's one of those you know there's no accounting for taste um but i can be a little bit more articulate um about um a song that isn't necessarily underrated in terms of like it's up there on the set lists all the time but people don't give it the time of day um it's kind of forgotten um and the song is uh nobody except you from the um bootleg series and um The first bootleg series uh, volume one through three it's on the second disc um this is i believe from 1973 in la they're doing the sessions with the band for planet waves um and um it's a love song it's and i mean dylan works with um the template of the popular love song that genre if you think about like one of his masterpiece albums blonde on blonde except for rainy day women and stuck inside of mobile every song more or less is a is basically a kind of love song that he has kind of exploded from the inside out and i see that happening in nobody except you um and i think that this song exemplifies his ability to take this genre of popular song and imbue it with some sort of like really startling poetic intensity and this poetic intensity jumps out at us in one verse of this song um and therefore it, it it kind of encapsulates for me dylan's genius his ability to kind of take i mean you look at the opening verses and they're really banal they're not great right nothing around here that's sacred except you nothing around here that matters except you you're the one that reaches me you're the one that I admire every time we meet together I feel like I'm on fire so it sounds kind of like this kind of doggerel. I have to say I love the melody and the band as they play with their kind of scrupulous impeccable uh, uh uh bluesy artistry it just is 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 wonderful to hear um but um after these kind of doggerel-esque verses right nothing here i care to try for nothing got nothing to deliver die for and then he's got these two verses and they kind of bring the whole song together they it, it jumps out at you right there's a hymn i used to hear in the churches all the time make me feel so good inside so peaceful so sublime now there's nothing that reminds me of that old familiar chime except you. Okay, it's getting a little bit more interesting. And then you get this, this is where the startling poetic intensity kind of like jumps out at you. Used to run in the cemetery, dance and run and sing when I was a child and it never seemed strange. Now I just pass mournfully by the place where the bones of life are piled. I know something has changed. I'm a stranger here and no one sees me, except you. And that for me redeems the entire song it 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 is just you know th- he finishes the song with everything runs by me like water from a well everybody wants my attention got something to sell except you I'm in love with you he ends the song I mean and that's what um love songs are they're either I love you or um you've betrayed me and I don't love you anymore or I want you back and um so he's got this love song template and then it's like one of those Michelangelo statues that he kind of abandons where you see this. I mean, and I I can't help but think of um, Mississippi um, uh, um, walking through the leaves, falling from the trees, feeling like a stranger nobody sees. And you've got that notion in this verse, right? Um, I'm a stranger here and no one sees me. I mean, this is a verse that's really resonant in terms of like Dylan's kind of 21st century writing and um i i just love the song for that that reason and um yeah that's 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 my contribution to uh, it's, it's is it i don't think it's underrated or overrated i think it's like not rated it's no one's really like given it the time of day and um to listen to the song you go along with it and the band's playing is impeccable and wonderful and beautiful but the lyrics don't really charge until that one verse where the bones of life are piled I know something has changed and that's a very simple line but it cuts like a knife after coming th- after the imagery that pre- precedes it and um uh I'm a stranger here that notion of being a stranger uh uh bereft of um uh, uh kind of in a in a present tense that is not like that past tense time of of carefree um uh innocence is is just always uh, uh is something that s- stays in my mind so that's my kind of contribution and i can perhaps talk later about a song from um the planet waves session uh that i dislike but um yeah that's that's the non-rated song, the overlooked song that I think needs more attention.
1: Hey, nobody except you. Great pick. Um, I just want to let everybody know that Nina has entered the building. So, hey, Nina, how you doing?
0: Hi. Hi.
1: <laughs> All right, so we're just running through the songs. Any any commentary, any rebuttal? Um, any support for Rob?
4: Rob already started down the path that I was thinking of as I was listening to him. Uh, remind us of that great verse the stranger imagery also reminded me of mississippi also reminded me of red river shore i'm a stranger in strange land and that image of picking through the bones i mean we see it most vividly in my own version of you the kind of grave robber imagery but it also reminded me of um lonely graveyard of my mind another Time Out of Mind reference. And um, I can't quote it because I don't know it as well, but there's an image of the grave of a child. I think it's in Dreaming of You, one of the outtakes from Time Out of Mind, but was on uh, Telltale Signs uh, and the most recent bootleg. So uh, yeah, yeah, I agree that uh, it's hard to believe he's writing that line in 1973 because it seems so much late 90s or even more recent.
2: Absolutely, yeah, I, I agree with you 100% really that's why i i kind of it, so the, the that verse jumps out in the song in general and then it kind of like jumps out in time it's like he, he he's yet to kind of reach he's 1973 he's he's yet to reach the 1997 2001 that kind of writing and and so that verse kind of like uh uh is is waiting for that time but i mean one of the things that i found out while i was working in the archives is that um on in in, when he was um crafting songs for uh the john wesley harding album which i'm studying right now um and writing about right now he um most of the notebooks uh contain lyrical fragments of love songs in the national skyline vein and it was this listening to nobody except you is like going through the archives of the 67 ma- material where you've got these really banal lyrics about love songs that'll make their way onto um, Nashville skyline. And then boom, just fragments of these little it, that that kind of intensity that the John Wesley Harding songs have. So it it, 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 it's, it's, there's something about this song that's like, uh, representative of his, his, his working method.
3: I think we could argue that, uh, well, we, we, I don't know, I would. uh, Planet Waves is a record that gives more to me now than I think it's ever given to me. I think I've returned to that record a lot. Um, And it's a record that didn't really hit me when I first heard it. And I think that's one that is really going to grow. The other thing I was going to say is that that second disc of the Bootleg series, spoiler alert, it's coming up again. I think that's one of the most listenable runs of songs um that are completely you know decontextualized they're 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 taken from their context, but then you have like um you know it goes from like if not for you wallflower nobody. those are great, it's a great math, uh, listing of songs that sort of flow in their own way, but we can get back to that later you know, that was a great essay though Rob thank you,
2: yeah, um, farewell, Angelina' is on that I'm looking at the track list right now, I mean there's so many great yeah. In in preparing for this, I've been re-listening to that second disc of the first bootleg series run, and and I agree hundred percent.
1: Any other comments about nobody set you? Yeah, one of the things I love about that song is the organ playing, that that sort of circus like circular organ playing that 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 Garth Hudson puts down, and I think it's. It kind of goes with the lyrics until, as you put it, pointed out, that last verse, right? And all of a sudden, there's a, a weird juxtaposition, um, almost a, a counterposition. And a, it's really tremendous and very powerful.
2: That's that's really well put. Yeah, absolutely. I agree. All right. I'm going to pick on Aaron next.
0: Uh, when are you not picking on me? All right. Um, so you, when I, I mentioned half-heartedly that I was going to pick Silvio and you said, go for it. And I felt that that was a challenge. And so I did take the challenge. Um, and so I, I'm putting Silvio in, in our list. Uh, and so I did kind of take Dylan from Philosophy of Modern Song. It's what a song makes you feel about your own life. that it's That's important. And so I'll start the very trite um, two things. One, it's on my running list, and as a marathoner, I love the song. And two, it was played at the first show I ever saw, and so I have an affection for it. But beyond that, um, we all know that I have a fascination with the 80s, and so I find this interesting because of the collaboration with Robert Hunter and people, the biggest complaint, there are two big complaints I hear about this song. One is that the lyrics are simple. Well, we can't fault Dylan for that. He chose the song to record it, but um, I'll talk about the sound in a second. The sound is Dylan. And so I want to talk about that momentarily. Um, And part of that sound, too, is that Jerry Garcia, Bob Weir, and Brent Myland are additional vocals on it. And so he has, you know, that connection. And the collaborations I find interesting. Dylan clearly likes the song. He's played it 595 times live pretty consistently, and so um, we talk about set lists, also another interest of mine, we look at where it appears in the set list, and so I kind of look, and it's always um, where he's had sort of a lull, heavier songs, and he needs something to revive the energy, so the first time he played it, he played it after Hard Rain and Boots of Spanish Leather, and he went right into Silvio to kind of add energy to the set. The last time he played it, um, March 16th, 2004, he opened with it, which I feel like that's an interesting. Yes, I, Rob made a made a face. Yeah, <laughs> Rob, your reaction. Um, that was I found that to be curious too. And so when we look at the chord structure, it's incredibly simple, but it's almost identical to ISIS, which is not as maligned and 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 it's more loved. And so I find that to be fascinating. And um, it's an upbeat song that deals with some of the same. the same themes that Dylan has dealt with. And I think maybe that's why he was drawn to it. Um, And so he's dealing with like metaphysical knowledge about things that dead men know. He's talking about honesty. Um, I think the sound of it too. um, It sounds like a train to me. And and so there's that, you know, the, the train trope that runs through, um, the final image, which I thought was my moment of genius, and then I feel like I'm in good company, um, and we'll see court respond when I say this. Uh, Paul Williams also saw this. So when I was writing my notes beforehand, um, I wrote this down, and then I went to uh, some texts, and Paul Williams has the same idea. So the final image of him going down to the fat valley and sing his song and letting the echo decide if he was right or wrong, it's... Uh, It's sort of reminiscent of the end of Hard Rain, which then is interesting that he plays it sort of in a sequence with Hard Rain when he plays it live, and you can see that parallel there that, you know, he's reflecting from the mountains for all souls to see it, and then Silvio, he's kind of looking for some truth that we can't know when we're still living. Okay, so some folks read it autobiographically or biographically, and I find that, um, That's really not an interpretation that interests me. And I, Dylan is, um, is going to back me up again. Philosophy of modern songs (laughs) in the same chapter. Knowing the singer's life story doesn't particularly help your understanding of a song. Um, and so I guess those interpretations would satisfy who the speaker is, because if it's Dylan, and he's in this lull in the 80s, and he can't create like he used to, um, then he's, you know, staking his future on a hell of a past and all of those things. And there are some cheeky lines in there, um, you know, pay for your ticket and don't complain, which is something I often say to my nephews. (laughs) So there's just, you know, or to people in general. And so There's something interesting, but it is a dramatic monologue, too, if we're going to go back to the lyrics. He's speaking to Silvio, and there are some theories about who Silvio is, but then I think, like, Dylan's embodying the character and the speaker, so do we really, does it matter who Silvio is? I think it's more important what he's saying. And those themes are still the same, and it fits with that sort of 80s um, trope of him working through uh, this sort of creative, you know, dry space that he has, dry spell that he has, that he's trying to create, again, trying to figure out, and he's that genius who's struggling. And one thing that I found particularly interesting, again, Paul Williams, was that there's that line about the boll weevil, which is an allusion to uh, Mississippi boll weevil blues, Uh, so reworking of that line that Robert Hunter does, that then Williams says that Dylan perfects starting time out of mind. And so, if we're looking at Dylan sort of struggling with his own song creation and the way that he t- he couldn't create as he previously did, and he's trying to work his way through that, and he, he picks for some reason. he picks Silvio as a song from from Hunter's songbook, then we see him develop that, sort of like you were saying about nobody except you, Rob, with the graveyard theme like the graveyard image and, and how he learned how to write later on or perfect that. I think that there's something there that argues that, you know, other than me just liking the song, um, that I think that there's something there that we can see a connection in Dylan's creative process there.
1: How'd I do, Jim? <laughs> Great. I was wondering how long we'd get before we got to down in the groove. All right.
3: <laughs> Comments? Down, down in the groove is going to make a comeback. I'm, I'm arguing, I've been arguing that for a long time. I think down the groove is completely maligned for wrong reasons. And I think that, I'm not saying it's a great record, but I think it's a good record. And I think it's an interesting record. And I think there's some really- I'm not,
0: not saying it, Court.
3: I'm not not saying it. And what are does the Paul right Williams agree with me?
1: You think it's what? I said, what are the right reasons to malign it then?
3: Oh, I'm, I'm, I, it's not top tier. It's a, it's a it's a compilation of stuff. It, it doesn't hang together really all that well. But the stuff that's good is great. And I think that it's a very interesting record in terms of how it connects to where he is at the time. No, that was a good
4: take. I like that. Yeah, I like Silvio too. I mean, I like some versions better than others, but uh, I was doing homework on it when writing about, because uh, Dylan's played it multiple times in Cincinnati, and the first time was, in 1988 so his first concert on the never-ending tour that rolled through town played a really blistering version uh with g.e smith and the gang and so i also wrote about the paul williams bit and i can even quote it directly because i've got it on screen in front of me so i might as well uh, williams uh in talking about dylan's attraction to the song uh speculated quote He feels liberated by the fact that it's a Dylan song without baggage. He and the band play it as though it were a big hit or a song that made him famous. And the audience can feel that and respond happily without knowing what this song is, which allows the singer to lean into it in a way that's different from the other Dylan songs and covers he's playing. And so Dylan likes it. That's reason enough. The fans apparently often respond very positively to it. So there's more reason. Uh, to keep playing it. And that resonates so well with the lyrics that you quoted, Aaron, let the echo decide if I'm right or wrong. The echo is saying they dig it. So I'll keep playing it.
2: (laughs) This is, um, I I have to say, I really love the connection Aaron, you made between that. um, uh, Let the echo decide if I was right or wrong with um, the end of hard rain. That's and, and you did, you did a really fantastic job of, 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 thematizing or or saying that the theme of the song is this kind of search for creative revivification. Um, I have to admit though that um, the sound, I mean, if there is a song that I skip when I'm listening to bootlegs, it is Silvio. When I hear those opening licks, I press the fast forward button. I forgive you. <laughs> uh, I, I, and like I said at the top, you know um it's very hard for me to articulate why i don't like something um uh in terms of music uh the, the the music of the song is um and i like i mean it's it's very good defense in talking about the chord structure being similar to isis so you've kind of boxed me in a corner there where i can't quite say well you know the chord structure here is rather simplistic and 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 plodding. um but so is isis um uh but the, there's something about the, um, I don't know, it just strikes me as this kind of banal rocker that, that you know, and I, I think that I can't quite match the the heights of, of your um, defense here in, in my um, demural to, you know, I'm demurring here to, to continue. I, I just don't like this one. <laughs>
0: That's fair. Try running to it. You might like it more.
2: Oh, I I don't think that would happen. I think I would fall flat on the ground and have a heart attack and die to the strains of Silvio. That's not a way to go out.
3: Have you tried doing jumping jacks to Silvio? That's what cardio will help you with Silvio. What can we do? I think, isn't it interesting? He didn't write the words. And so his connection to that's interesting. I think, and we're leaving, we're not talking about this today, but his current tour that's replete with covers there's something there where you can dig in in a different way i don't, I don't know i don't know i'm gonna re-listen to silvio but i won't be running i'm not gonna do that in the pool i'm gonna put my tape cassette deck Walkman on as i do laps in the pool and see how long that lasts
2: yeah
3: i liked it though that was a good essay Aaron.
1: thank you corp you want to give us one <clears throat>
3: I appreciate this so much, and I'm hoping that uh, I can get the ire of Rob on this one. Um, I was thinking, I'll tell you what, my very first thought when when you sent this out was a song that I'm not going to talk about. But my very first thought was Dark Eyes. That's one that kind of came up immediately. I was like, well, that's interesting. Maybe I'll talk about Dark Eyes. I do like Dark Eyes. Uh, And then I was kind of going down the, you know, are we going to do something cheeky? Is this going to be an hour and a half on Joey? I is this where we're going to go with this? And, uh, um, I think Joey is also too off in the line. I don't really know why people hate on Joey so much. Um, but yeah, at any rate I'm going to, and maybe I'll get Rob's permission on this one, the second disc of the original bootleg series. And I think the song that, that that really speaks to me that I, I don't know if it's actually underrated. I think that's the hard part about this is that it's not really underrated necessarily, but I don't think it's discussed as much. And that is, uh, Uh, Mama, you've been on my mind. And I think that this song uh for me was a gateway. So if we want to talk about it from the Erin perspective of like personal relationship, um bootleg series is very important to me. I had known Dylan. Uh bootleg comes out when I'm in high school. And I had known Dylan, I was aware of Dylan's stuff, but bootleg was kind of like the oh. And I loved a lot of the material on there without really getting the, the context of it, um, but Mama You've Been On My Mind is one that I just gravitated toward. I thought this is a song that you don't hear very often, obviously. It wasn't something that I had known, and it's it, it starts in such mysterious ways. Um, and the other context of this, I think this goes into one of those songs that is like, it's a love song-ish, which are the best kind. But it's also one of those songs I think, and I know we could argue against this, but it connects to me in a way to a song that I could I could devote a lot of energy and time to explaining how I don't really get it, but I love every moment of it, and that is uh, "Boots of Spanish Leather." I think that song is a is a is a classic case of I love everything about it, and what does it mean? Well, I could tell you very contradictory things about it. I could tell you exactly what it means. I can tell you, well, it doesn't mean that at all. And it kind of reminds me of, of, um, uh, walk away Renee, which is another one of those songs, which I, 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 I could dedicate my life to. And if you ask me what it's about, it's like, it's the best song on the whole fucking planet. What's it about? I don't know. sign book points both ways, you know, who are you to ask anyway? So mama, you've been on my mind. You know, this idea of, and I didn't get the lyrics for a long time. I wasn't ever really aware of what it meant. I didn't know if I read them correctly or thought about correctly, but the, the sun cut flat, you know, that is like, okay, that's, that's line one for a song that you're not going to really put on anything. Where are we going with this? But I think it's a really lovely song. I think it's a song that he's mining, certainly in that period, 63, 64 really up until 66, maybe, because I think there's another interesting parallel here to another song on that, which is um, She's Your Lover Now, where he's able to say, layer, 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 layer. And it's sort of like a mask where he's able to push himself away, where it's like, you know, I'm not saying that I feel this way. I'm saying I feel all these kind of things, but maybe I do, you know, um, where's that whole thing where he's like, I'm not pleading or saying, I can't forget. I do not walk the floor, bow down and bent. But yet, <laughs> you've been on my mind, I love that. I love everything about it. I think it's a I think it's a beautiful song that is is deceptively simple that is about love in the broadest of things in the broadest of ways, which doesn't really cohere probably in some ways um. <clears throat> You know, then it's like he's, it's, she's gone. You know, when you wake up in the morning, look inside your mirror. You know, I will be next to you. You know, I will be near. Also, I really like his voice. The way he, it's a very interesting kind of uh, dialect-ish thing he's playing with uh, the the real nasal. He's he's leaning into that real nasal element. Um, I just love it. And I think it's also interesting going back to Aaron's take on set lists, He doesn't play it that much, but he plays it at these weird times. It comes back in there in self portrait. Like he does a recording with uh, George Harrison or, or he's playing with George Harrison around that time. Um, you know, there's, there's like this moment in the early seventies when he's kind of revisiting his past and that, that song pops up. It pops up again in the nineties, <clears throat> which I think is a very important touring period. Um, I just looked that up. He plays it one time as a throwaway in 2009. That's the most the most recent time. Um, I'm not going to tell you I have a long history of knowing all of the versions of it. I love the version that I, that I know the best and I love that version in a way that seems very heartfelt and engaged in a way that I just don't think you see very often with him. Um <clears throat> I also think it's a song. I'll edit that comment. i read redact my next point. As a throwaway, as a bonus track for you, Jim, I'll say this. Most underrated song that is rated highly, I would argue, and it's one I go back to more than I want to discuss, is Mr. Tambourine Man, wait for it. The 66 version, <clears throat> I think, is a master class in harmonica. I think that's the closest he comes to being just a jazz musician in his breathing, in his ability to take a harmonica to the... the, I am a very, very, very strong proponent of the harmonica in all ways, but I have a very specific version of that. And that is the Neil Young, Bob Dylan version of harmonica playing. If it's too sweet and too pretty and too good, I find it terrible. It's the most Terrible sound I've ever heard in my life, but you play it like those two people play it, and it is the best, most life-affirming sound ever. And Mister Tambourine Man in '66, when he starts doing that real kind of circular, you know, drone almost that he's getting with it, I think is is amazing. And I don't think I think I think that that acoustic disc always gets the short shift because of what comes later. And I think that there's a lot of gold there that he's playing with. Anyway, I've said too much, but uh, now for an hour on Dark Eyes. So, Empire Burlesque. I'm kidding. All right, thank you well,
1: That's that's um wow, Court. That was it's interesting because I um <clears throat> wasn't planning on interjecting myself into this, but if I had the song, I would have chosen was "Mama, You've Been on My Mind" for much the same reason you did. Uh, very similar take on it. I think lyrically, it's it's just stupendous. Um, I've heard people denigrate that first line. What does it mean? The sun cut flat it's it's the sunset in late summer go stand outside um but you know it's it's um you know just a tremendous song if you even look at the lyrics on the website they the the lines they they they're very short at the in the first verse and then they lengthen toward the middle and then they start to shorten again and yet the tune stays the same um his singing in that is incredible and then I'm not a big fan of the the Rolling Thunder review version. I I love the fact he's duetting with um, Joan Baez, and I think they sing it tremendously. I'm just not a big fan of that sort of countrified version of it. I think it loses its sweetness, Um, but an incredible song. And uh, uncannily, if I had to choose a song that I think is overrated, and you're all going to hate me for this, it's it's, uh, Mr. Tambourine Man. Except for the 66 version, because of the harmonica, it is it's just an amazing.
3: What I was gonna just noticing though is that the opening line of that the the color of the sun because it's not just the sun cup, it's the color of the sun cup, flat mm-hmm. But also the opening line of Dark Eyes is uh midnight moon is on the riverside. So maybe there is some of the parallel. Maybe Dark Eyes is a rewriting of this in a way. I don't I don't think that's true.
1: <laughs> You're desperate to make that connection. Any other takes on mommy You've been on my mind, or.
2: I like the Rolling Thunder version. I like the Country fried yeah. version and the intensity uh, and power that there's this kind of wonderful competitiveness between Baez and, and Dylan when they're singing it, especially when you get to that last verse. Um, when you wake up in the morning, baby, look inside your mirror. No, I won't be next to you. No, I won't be near. Yeah, I'll just be and everything. I love that 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 uh, uh, doesn't. But I, I think that this is a um, a great song. A, a, a really great song to 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 pick um it i like the self-referentiality this has been said by many critics so i'm not really saying anything new the way that it pairs the um simple lyrics mama you've been on my mind with the kind of overwrought some people say overwrought but uh not really um uh, uh sun the color of the sun cut flat and covering the crosses i'm standing at maybe something like the weather or that but mama, you've been on my mind. That, that kind of movement from kind of forcing this kind of high poetic imagery and then just saying, but, you know, I, ju- I just have to say you've been on my mind. That's um, the earnestness of that is, is, is the earnestness coming through is is really great.
3: But it's also this like almost a fake out because it's like, here's this really gorgeous line or maybe it's just the weather, mm-hmm. right? Like it's like this real playful. Yes. Yes. He knows his power. But then he's like, oh, maybe it's this, this, but still, I mean, it's like the most, it's the most obvious stuff, but no part of that song is obvious. And it's still, if I listen to that particular version, I'm not going to get into the Rolling Thunder version, but if you go into that particular version right now, it's like, that is a magical sort of piece of music that I don't think is, uh, it's common for him, maybe, but it's not common outside of him. And uh, it's not certainly uh, something you
4: hear all the time.
0: I think what you were saying, Court and, and Rob, too, it reminds me of most of the time and how he's saying, like, you know, I don't even know most of the time. Like, he sort of undercuts his observations with, you know, like, all of these things are happening, but, you know, Mama, you've been on my mind. And it's almost the exact opposite of, like, you know, I don't even know if she's gone most of the time. You know, it's just, it's a, it's, it's an interesting device that he seems to use later on in that song.
2: And what's brilliant about that, Aaron, is that he's 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 able to imbue these kind of you know rather uh, uh, you know unpoetic idioms like you've been out of my mind most of the time and I mean the weight that comes through in those lines is just is just you know I know something has changed it's like from my pick nobody no n- n- nobody except you right I know something has changed I mean it's just like because what comes before it's like it cuts you it's really you, yeah absolutely
3: also mama is a really tough word. And it, it it doesn't come across badly here it comes across kind of sweetly or engagingly it doesn't come across as like oh is this a 60s song that we're not going to like the end of this verse um i don't know there's something there to that but i think it's very touching the way it's sung here i think it's, it, it works in a way and i think there is a way right where that gender gets split in some cover versions and i don't know if that is, is I don't, it doesn't work very well for me. I think there's a way to flip gender in songs very, very well, but this particular one, I don't think works.
1: Yeah. I think uh, Joan Baez sings daddy. You've been on daddy. Yeah. which isn't quite the same thing. And then, um, I don't know if you ever heard the Betty Lovett version from a few years ago, um, on her album, which I think is, has some really good stuff on it and some really abysmal stuff. And I don't think she pulls this one off. She alters the lyrics and she makes it about her own mother especially the last verse. And I think the last verse is impeccable and she alters the last verse. Um, and it's almost unforgivable. She kind of ruins this song. (laughs) Um, and, and also takes out the, the, the complexity of it, of the relationship. Um, it's, it's the, the subtlety is just gone.
4: I also love every time Bob Dylan sings the word mirror and makes it a one syllable word. Uh, which, which led, and I've heard other people say this too, so it's not just my imagination, but one of my favorite lines always from Visions of Joanna was what I thought for years he said, she's delicate, seems like Vermeer. I thought it was a painting reference. And then it's like, oh, it's just, she seems like the mirror. What's that mean? That's not nearly as good as what I misheard the lyric as. But, but as you were talking as you were comparing it to most of the time I mean that's a very similar dynamic in that song right you're thinking about someone that you really don't want to be thinking about you probably shouldn't be thinking about and yet that person visions of that person haunts your mind mama you've been on my mind and it may even be the same mama <laughs> if you want to you know interject too much autobiographical reading there Joan Baez. but uh yeah maybe not a coincidental connection there with two mere mere references
2: I think Vermeer has got to be it, right? I thought it was Vermeer forever. And we're in a museum. We're in a museum in, in, in Visions, right? And there are um, uh, the Mona Lisa suggestion there, right? So, yeah, sure. I, I mean, I heard Vermeer, too. Yeah. I always heard
3: Vermeer or Vermeer. I
0: always heard Vermeer.
4: Vermeer. I, th- I, think, I think the Vermeers have it. <laughs> it's a very cold tank apparently
1: <laughs> all right so we're ready to move on to Lee's pick
4: so I didn't write any of this out so I hope it sounds coherent but, um, but you know who did write it out uh, Bob Dylan uh, my uh, underrated work by Dylan is New Morning the album New Morning now Actually, I don't think it's very underrated by most of us as fans. I mean, even if we wouldn't put it on the tip-top shelf, no one would put it on the bottom shelf. I mean, it's a good album, and you might even say it's better than good. But the person who really kind of low rates it is Bob Dylan, uh, his, which makes it perverse out of all the things he could have written about in Chronicles. He chooses to devote a chapter in part to the making of New Morning. But then most of what he has to say about it uh, is kind of damning with faint praise, right? Um, My favorite passage, and I have it uh, here in front of me, so I've just quoted is he's talking about listening to these songs uh, uh, during uh, the recording sessions. And he says, quote, my reputation was firm in hand. At least these songs wouldn't make any gory headlines. Message songs. There weren't any. Anybody listening for them would have to be disappointed, as if I was going to make a career out of that anyway. Regardless, you could still feel the anticipation in the air. When will the old hymn be back? When will the door burst open and the goose appear? Not today. I felt like these songs could blow away in cigar smoke, which suited me fine. That my records were still selling surprised even me. Maybe there were good songs in the grooves, and maybe there weren't. Who knows? But they weren't the kind where you hear an awful roaring in your head. I knew what those kinds of songs were like, and these weren't them. It's not like I hadn't any talent. I just wasn't feeling the full force of the wind. No stellar explosions. I was leaning against the console and listening to one of the playbacks. It sounded, okay, (laughs) you know, uh, uh, it's, it, it, he's by his own admission saying that these are kind of forgettable, throwaway songs. I disagree with him. I think he's more than just merely talented. I think that's a really strong album, but it's not just that he disses it, uh, in prose there. Uh, I just did a little bit of homework right before the, um, recording. There are 12 songs on New Morning, eight of them. He's never played live, not a single time. <laughs> you know, he's he's played um, New Morning 79 times, if not for you, 89 times, if Dogs Run Free 104 times, and The Man and Me 155 times, but zero live recordings for eight of the 12 songs, including the one that I thought I would focus most specifically on, which is uh, Sign on the Window. Uh, I love "Sign on the Window." Uh, I taught it. It, it uh, came across my uh, mental radar a couple times last week. One, I was teaching uh, it in class. We got up to the new morning section, uh, and so we read that in class and listened to the album. But then uh, last Sunday, uh, I also saw "Girl from the North Country," and uh, Connor McPherson uses that as the first song on the album, which makes sense—or not on the album—in musical. Uh, which makes sense because he sets the, the musical in a in a in an inn, right, a hotel, and so that imagery of a sign on the window fits perfectly with the poetic conceit that Dylan is using uh, in the lyrics. I just pulled them up on the screen so I didn't misquote them, uh, but I love this imagery at the beginning of the of the song. A sign on the window says lonely. Sign on the door said no company allowed. Sign on the street says, you don't own me. Sign on the porch says, three's a crowd. Sign on the porch says, three's a crowd. So I love this idea of taking a a familiar image, a sign on a window that you would think, you know, uh, open or closed, uh, vacancy, no vacancy, and using it as an emotional marker for the relative openness or closeness of the singer's heart. Uh, Right. Of letting people in or shutting people out. And it starts off with shutting people out. The sign said lonely. The sign says no company allowed. But then apparently he's let someone in, but only partway in like one step across the threshold. You don't own me. So, okay, we're in a relationship, but I'm not your possession. You don't control me. Um, Kind of the vibe that he uh, talks about in um, is your love in vain right uh, where uh, I must have solitude you get part of me but not all of me but then when he goes to threes a crowd that sounds more like wrapping your arms around that person and we are fully together now and everybody else can get lost threes a crowd and I gather I mean first I should say that what I love especially about the song is the sound I love Bob Dylan's piano play he clearly had a cold During the recording of uh, New Morning, you can hear how stopped up his his uh, sinuses are uh, on uh, the man and me. And this seems to be later, later in the uh, in the, uh, you know, trajectory of the cold when he's playing the song, because the post nasal drip, the raspy, scratchy voice really comes through, especially when he's trying to hit notes. He can't quite hold like in the bridge when he talks about or when he sings, hope that it don't sleep. And he can't quite hold his voice on that. But I love that. I mean, it fits the song so well. So, piano playing is 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 cracker, and the, the voice, I think, uh, is really good. And even when it's bad, it's good. Um, but then the verses seem to be examples, I guess, of one side of the sign or the other. Uh, there's the verse, uh, Her and her boyfriend went to California. Her and her boyfriend didn't change their tune. My best friend said, Now, didn't I warn you? Brighton girls are like the moon. Brighton girls are like the moon, which I take means changeable. Um, and that it's apparently about a couple that went together, but then they didn't stay together. Uh, not autobiographical, uh, I don't think. I mean, there's California reference, but uh, bright, you know, that doesn't seem to add up in any way. And But the most interesting, I guess, in relation to all this is the last verse. Build me a cabin in Utah. Marry me a wife. Catch rainbow trout. Have a bunch of kids who call me pa that must be what it's all about that must be what it's all about now there again it's fictionalized somewhat because utah i don't know of any utah connections right but the idea of getting married having kids settling down this is the domestic era dylan he's writing about in new chronicles that he's singing about in new morning and it seems relatively happy most of the time most of the time, (laughs) but there's something about that phrasing at the end, right? He doesn't say, "Um, brother, that's what it's all about, or let me tell you, that's what it's all about. Now I can see that's what it's all about. He says, that must be what it's all about, (laughs) as if he's trying to convince someone himself, right, that this should be happiness, right? This should be fully satisfied. And, I mean, I'm not the first person to have noticed that maybe there are some little signs of shadows that grow deeper and darker and longer in later songs that are maybe in part a reflection of Dylan's state of mind and his growing disillusionment with domestic life and the urge to follow his vocation back out onto the road and playing live music to the people. And I think that may be partly what we're seeing an early glimpse of here. But what's interesting to me, too, is that there could be other sources of tension within the family, right? Um, and I'm not just talking about Bob Dylan, but I'm not not talking about Bob Dylan because, man, if three's a crowd, what's seven, <laughs> you know? What is uh, a couple and five kids running around the house? Uh, you know, there's a sort of sense that uh, that three's a crowd, and uh, if, if other people can be intrusive, it's not necessarily just... The media and people clattering across your roof uh, You know, the freeloaders who are trespassing Uh, It could be other And and I'm also thinking there of the very next song On New Morning Which is One More Weekend Which has the the verse uh, We'll fly the night away Hang out the whole next day Things will be okay You wait and see We'll go someplace unknown Leave all the children home Honey, why not go alone? Just you and me. (laughs) And so I think that maybe there's a sense of the challenges from within and without to maintaining a relationship. And sometimes they're internal challenges that you're not sufficiently open to let someone all the way in. Sometimes they're external challenges uh, like, you know, the obsessive bands and and, 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 uh, intrusive media. Um, But sometimes it can be within the house itself. Uh, where the tensions lie and I think it's very subtle and maybe I'm reading way too much into uh, this song but it makes a seemingly simple song that just sounds nice and that's good enough a more complex and interesting song to me the more I think about it and and listen to it and listen to it in relation to some of the other songs on the end that's what I got
1: well greatly I'm glad you didn't write that down
4: I, I I did uh, I did uh, read uh, the lyrics off the screen there, so I didn't flub them up. But no, I I didn't otherwise write it down. Though now <laughs> I'm tempted to maybe uh, scribble some of this afterwards. But uh, anyway,
1: all right. Any any commentary? Sign on the window.
4: I
2: I like the um the way Grayly that you 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 figure in your reading of the song that it's really a an examination of of the strains and struggles of domesticity and a song that and to go back to what court said about the bootleg series one through three um uh i can remember getting uh, as a gift um biograph and so that was a when i was young and again i i listened to that as albums like disc one disc two disc you know and one of the songs that always stood out to me from that very early uh my first kind of deep dive into into dylan is um time passes slowly which i absolutely love i think it's one of the vocal performances just the the piano again is a different kind of piano than sign on the delicacy of sign on the window but the um the uh uh, his piano playing is 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 top notch in, in in time passes slowly and his um his uh his singing is great especially the bridge where he ends up ain't no reason to go anywhere right which i don't quite believe him in the next verse when he says time passes slowly up here in the daylight we stare straight ahead and try so hard to stay right and that's i think the struggle and strain of 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 domesticity and there's a weird temporality in Time Passes Slowly, too, where he's, he has in the second verse that kind of once I had a sweetheart, she was fine and good looking. So is this a song about being alone as time passes slowly, or is this about being with your family and time passing slowly? Is that a good thing or a bad thing? The song kind of hovers. I know I'm not talking about um, the, the song you were talking about, Grayley, but I'm talking about New Morning. And so I really appreciated, yeah, that really fine... uh uh, reading which you know and i like the way that you prefaced it with his his kind of shrugging it off as like these were songs that were not written on the road that were not performed a lot that were not invested with that much kind of sparkling uh uh, poeticism or whatever and um uh uh it's 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 kind of um uh forgettable and in a, a lot of the um at least among fans and 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 others, it's kind of like a fallow period when Dylan marries and tries to settle down. But so many of his songs are about children, um, uh, the struggles and strains of keeping a, a long term relationship um, uh, 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 together, and 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 so I would say that your defense of that song uh, or elevation of it really kind of uh, suggests that domesticity is a, a a kind of muse for for, for Dylan the idea of it, and the actual lived experience of it.
0: But also to um, kind of speak to that, really, like the idea that I've been playing with this, that The songs seem sort of flat or mundane, or he thinks they are. Well, that's what day-to-day domestic life is, you know, like that. It's sort of a reflection of who he is and where he is at that moment. And there's, you know, we juxtapose that, you know, of course, it's earlier, but what he's doing when he's recording the basement tapes, and he's in a playground with his friends where he leaves that domestic sphere to go to Big Pink and record, and even Garth Hudson says in a 2014 article, uh, interview that they tried to record at Dylan's, but it was Dylan's house and they couldn't do it because the vibe wasn't there. And so they had to he had to remove himself from that that domestic setting to be able to have, you know, that that sound of the recording. And I think you, you're onto to something there. So please do write that down.
3: Are we sure Rainbow Trout is in a metaphor We're our our Dylanologists on this. Um, I love New New Morning. I love the sound of it. I love everything about it. And I think it's also really great because from 69 to 71, that period is so fucking great. And he releases Self-Portrait and New Morning, like five months apart or four months apart or something stupid. Uh, Self-Portrait, which is wonderful. But it also goes to the Bootleg series, Another Self-Portrait, which is so great. And that circling around that period so many great songs so many great sounds it just sounds great um and to put my yarn against the wall biograph super important bootleg series so biograph is 85 right bootleg series 91 midpoint down the groove what i'm trying to tell you everybody is that down in the groove is the linchpin of historical memorization and memory going back into his roots. I'd say that sarcastically, but I also would fight fight it. I think it's important. I think it's interesting. Anyway, yeah, this is the great, great, great take. And I, I love the cover too. We don't talk about that cover too much. It's a very sort of, here it is. This is me. It's Bob. But it's like tan and ba- whatever, like that sort of, se- not sepia quite, but that cool kind of thing that, that goes into Rob's world of, of, John Wesley Harding, but I think it's like, it's like here it is. I also wonder, you you wonder too, like if Lebowski hadn't picked up The Man in Me, I wonder if that record would even have been remembered hardly at all now. I don't know. Or does Man and Me, does he start playing it live afterward? Is he playing Man and Me a lot before that? And then he kind of brings it. I, I, I don't have an answer for that. But I'm wondering, like Lebowski makes that song such a great, visual thing that brings people to that song again and it's also a song at the time that people really were not as familiar with i wonder if the the alternate the alternate history of no no lebowski um no flea acting career where are we in in 2023 is that the the moth wing butterfly wing that shifts us into different trajectory i'm not sure
4: That was great. It 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 feels like new morning. I mean, now Dylan focuses almost entirely on rough and rowdy ways, and more power to him because you know, I I having just recently seen him in concert. He plays the hell out of those songs, and he reinvents them night after night. And his piano playing is as good as it's ever been, and his voice is in top form. But my where I was started down this path uh, is since piano is his primary instrument now. New Morning gives you such great material to work with, Sign on on the Window being an excellent example. So, you know, I don't know why uh, eight of those ten tracks have never been played live. Well, I could probably guess why some of them haven't been. But hell, if you can play Dogs Run Free 104 times, uh, some of these songs could could, uh, use an airing or two in public.
1: I'm trying to look up man and me and I'm having trouble with the uh with the the website but I think I pulled it up here um and the question was did he he recorded it I mean I'm sorry performed it 155 times um and it looks like it really took off um most of those times were in the early 90s 91 he played it a ton 89. okay so he played it early on so that was pre Big Lebowski to answer your question so that was already pretty much a perennial song
3: honestly he knew he knew. He, he knew he knew maybe that's why T-bone, T-Bone certainly knew it all connects
1: T-Bone and down in the groove and it all connects it's you're going to prove through chronology.
3: In, in
4: 1988 yeah. I'm suddenly thinking about that line three's a crowd and wondering if I should then rethink my interpretation of the song three angels if three's a crowd <laughs> it's a
1: crowd of angels
0: also, that thing that bit that you read from Chronicles grayley, i'm I'm surprised court didn't jump on the the like fit in or sink into the groove line that you said because I was like, "Oh, is he down in the groove there?" I mean, i my brain went there. I'm sure court courts did too.
3: My brain doesn't leave that on the groove. i I wake up every morning to that recording, and then every evening i I decompress with that recording. Can you imagine? I mean, you're just trying to make a little bit off something, say that record means a little bit more than it should. I, i'm not I'm not like that
1: I have to admit my my alarm is set, so I wake up to new morning every day, which is appropriate.
3: That is the most beautiful sentiment I think I've ever heard you express. I that's That's why it was hard for me to admit That is the most tender hearted <laughs> beautiful spirited
4: <laughs> it's it's actually morning has broken by Cat Stevens. He just won't admit. <laughs>
1: That's right. All right. Well, this has been great. I want to wrap this up. Unfortunately, for those of you who are listening to hear um Nina's voice and um her incredible wisdom and insight, um, she had technical problems and just couldn't get it get into the into the group today. Um, so we'll pick her up next time and we'll get her take on whatever we're talking about next. I do know that um Aaron and I have been plotting. We're planning on doing a Christmas special in December. I can't imagine what we're going to talk about. What could we possibly talk about? Um, And we'll plan for that, but hopefully we'll get, we'll sneak another one into November as well. Um, So thank you, everyone. Thank you, Rob, Ern, Court, Grayley, and Nina, wherever you are. We wish you to come back soon and and join us on Million Dollar Bash on the Dylan Tons. Thank you, everyone, and take care.
4: Thanks.
1: Bye. Thanks, Bye. Thank, you. Thank you for listening to the Dillentons podcast. Be sure to subscribe to have the Dillentons sent directly to your inbox. And share the Dillentons on social media.